Welcome back to Talking Politics with the Post Millennial. Today we have a really exciting guest, and that's Brad Palombo, who is a contributor here at Post Millennial. And before that, and I think uh, to this day, you still write for the DC Examiner, which is a great mag, which everyone should read. But thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, well, it's, it's a great pleasure. And I'm glad we have an American uh, guest this week because it's just utterly chaotic in the States at the moment. So I wanted, I think, first and foremost, to get your opinion on the election that's coming up in November. A few months ago, I thought Trump was just going to storm Joe Biden uh, in the election. There seems to be quite a lot of good fortune on his side. And now, in June, we've had a pandemic, mass unemployment, just, it's, it's pandemonium. So it, yeah. has this made a Biden White House all but inevitable? Um, all but inevitable? Definitely not. Uh, I mean, we're still months away from the election, which is you know, not a long time in normal life, but it's a lifetime in politics. I mean, just yeah. think about how much has changed in the last three months. Well, now we've got five months left, right? So everything could go totally opposite way uh, around. In terms of like just putting my political analyst hat on what I think will happen, not what I think should happen. I do think Trump is in much more danger of losing now. Uh, the approval ratings that he has for handling of the coronavirus are not good. The handling of race, racial issues is not good for him either. And what he always has done consistently very well on with voters is uh, the economy. And the economy isn't doing so hot at the moment, as you probably know, yeah. uh, because of shutdowns and the coronavirus. So his biggest asset kind of fell out from under him, though the latest jobs report showed some sign of an uptick. Uh, so it really, it remains to be seen, but um, things would have to turn around and something would have to change, I think, for him to become the favorite again. Yeah, I think the economy isn't necessarily his fault, although there is some scrutiny, and I think rightfully, uh, given to how he dealt with the pandemic. On right. the issue of well, but voters voters don't really care. Yeah, they kind of vote based on the economy, whether whether it's his fault or not. Yeah, well, it's surprising his approval ratings are so low, because if you look across the world at the moment, incumbent leaders, uh, whether it be in Canada with Justin Trudeau or Britain with Boris Johnson, and even Emmanuel Macron in France, who had historically low approval ratings, is that he's now surging. So the fact that Trump is declining at a time of national crisis must be pretty worrying for the republicans i think it is worrying but it, because there are upsides and downsides of trump but no one can in my opinion really argue that his personality is an upside during a crisis yeah uh, it certainly got advantages when he's doing he's slamming some people or fighting for things other conservatives would have given up on but in the middle of a crisis tweeting out conspiracy theories about at liberal TV hosts is not what most people want to see from the president of the United States. So I think he's, yeah. he's particularly ill suited with his personality for a, a time of national crisis. Whereas some of these other leaders have other shortcomings, but maybe they're a little bit better at unifying or not undercutting their crisis response. So I think that's basically why uh, it has gone that way for him. Yeah, and even with racial tension, you know, I look at Trump's Twitter feed and 
I've spoken to other American journalists about this, and they say too much emphasis is often given to his Twitter feed. It doesn't really matter. But still, it seems that he's actively antagonizing protesters. That must be unsettling to Republicans who, who care deeply, it seems, about law and order. Right. Um, so the president's Twitter feed is an interesting question. I tend to think that, like, yes, people freak out about it too much, but ultimately it's still statements by the president. So they still do matter. You can't just write them all off as Trump's tweets like some people do. Uh, and it's actually frustrating because Trump, if you look at his actual record on criminal justice, is like pretty good. I mean, he's the first Republican to sign criminal justice reform bill, the first step act that took a sizable progress towards eliminating the unfair parts of our criminal justice system, particularly for black people. Mm -hmm. So like it could be a winning issue for him, especially given that he is open to more reforms, right? And that he's talking about now, but the Twitter feed where he's antagonizing the protesters and rioters, to be fair, not all these people far from far be it from all these people are all peaceful protesters. Sure. not true, but uh, he has taken an issue that he, was doing well on and I squandered some of those gains with 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 his callous off the cuff tweets and with the stunt that he pulled clearing out protesters for a church photo op yeah those things undercut what is actually a decent um, policy record on that area so I I agree I think Republicans are pulling their hair out a little bit over that one well it seems to me well and from what I've read the Trump campaign views black voters as essential to winning the next election. How, and of course they're setting up campaign offices in traditionally black communities and so forth. So how will his dealing with this crisis or, or the manner in which he dealt with this crisis affect um, his outreach to the black community? Well, it's interesting because they really have made a concentrated pitch for black voters. And that's like, sadly kind of new from a Republican president. I mean, he mm. if, if he even got 20% of the black vote, he wins in a landslide. That's just yeah. how the nature of our electoral politics works here in the United States. It's an important coalition, but it's always just gone so heavily Democrat. If he could even get one in five, that would make him a shoo-in. Mm. Uh, and so he is making that pitch. It's an interesting question of how this will all play into it because it could almost actually help him in a way. All the businesses that were burned down in these riots, not all, I'm sorry, but many, if not most, were owned by black people or other minorities. Yeah. A lot of the economic harm during the coronavirus crisis has hit minority communities. If they, and meanwhile, you have Democrats kneeling to the Black Lives Matter movement, supporting abolish the police. Those things, a lot of black people, I'm obviously not black, but I have to think from their perspective, if their business was just burned down or their neighborhood was just in a riot, that they might go to the law and order candidate or at least enough mm. of them who, especially because he has signed the criminal justice reform, whereas Joe Biden was the architect of the 1994 crime bill that put racist penalties into the law that punished black people disproportionately compared to white people. So Joe right. Biden has a lot of support in the black community but he actually has a questionable record on some of those issues. Uh, whereas in such chaos, I don't know, maybe some black voters could go for that law and order pitch. Yeah, well, a, a lot of uh, articles have been written about Joe Biden's supposed relationship with black voters. Do you think that's at all overstated? Or, or is this sort of 
inexplicable uh, relationship going to carry him to victory? I don't think it's overstated. It's a very real relationship, and we saw it in the Democratic primaries. I don't think it's invulnerable, though, and I, mm. I think that it, de- it will really depend on how... I mean, he has AOC on one of his advisory commissions, and it really depends on how closely Republicans can tie Joe Biden to the radicals, the abolish police people, <laughs> the Antifa just means anti-fascist people, yeah. right? If they can... Su- and, Joe Biden doesn't actually believe those things, but he is in a coalition politically with people who do believe those things. And it, so it, it, it's basically going to be a test of to what extent can Republicans tie Joe Biden to some of the more crazy things that would be alienating to those voters. Yeah. And another question about Biden. And again, I, I think probably far too much has been said on this already, uh, particularly from the Trump campaign. But there has been footage of him seeming to, to be just totally lost or losing his place in his statements or just just being senile, I would say. Do, do you think he is losing his cognitive ability here or is that just effective political messaging? Yeah, so I would be careful of making any sort of medical claim. Like personally, I wouldn't say... Senile, senile or losing cognitive ability that, that's almost like a medical assertion so yeah. i can't really say that what i can say is he is very old and he has looked very old yeah. throughout this entire campaign i mean whether it's flubbing his words or like you said there's been so many gaffes it's too many to count he was always kind of a gaffy guy who would make a lot of these flubs but it's really bad and sometimes he does just look lost I don't know, though, how much that will actually matter uh, for maybe two reasons. One, Donald Trump is not the spring chicken uh, candidate alternative. Yeah. And he's not directly viewed as hyper competent by the American people. Uh, <laughs> but also, more importantly, like Joe Biden as a president really represents more of a coalition of people, right? Like they know that they know him as a person and that's who they're voting for but they know that fundamentally the work will be done by his democratic associates and establishment. So people who support him aren't really bothered by him looking slow or whatever, because their point is that a Biden administration will be run by Biden types. It's less about him per se on the actual government functioning high level front. They mostly need a figurehead, a person they can respect and believe in. And he does offer that, even if he looks uh, slow sometimes, for sure. Yeah, I mean, and America, it seems to me at least, seems to have quite a romantic view on loopy old men becoming presidents. I mean, Ronald Reagan, for instance, totally lost it in his second term. (laughs) Do you think there is some affection towards the sort of the, the, the dawdling candidate? Yeah, it, I mean, it is a thing that we have voted for, I, so I don't think it's a roadblock, no. Uh, and that's because of the presidency has become, and I'm a libertarian-leaning conservative, so I'm very bothered by this, but the fact mm-hmm. of the matter is the presidency has become an imperial size position. It has expanded the executive branch into almost every facet of American life. It is yeah. a far bigger, more powerful role than the founders ever envisioned it would be, and the result of that is that it's, most of the work is not actually done by the president. It's done by his underlings and his cabinet secretaries and his aides. And so the presidency is almost like 
not a single position, but he's basically a figurehead. Any president is a figurehead for an administration full of hundreds and thousands of people who are fulfilling the role of president together. And so for from the pro-Biden perspective, I guess it doesn't matter too much, frankly, um, because everyone in his administration will run the show as kind of is the, is the norm now. Yeah. Well, as you said, you're a conservative libertarian. And I think it's quite fair to say that you've been pretty outspoken um, in your criticism of the Trump presidency throughout uh, his administration. Is it becoming more difficult to be a Republican or to be a Republican whose views fit uh, in the pre-Trump Republican Party and to continue to support that? Are those days practically gone? The neoconservatism and all that stuff? Well, uh, I'm certainly not a neoconservative, but neoconservatism is largely marginal in the party now, in part thanks to Donald Trump. I think it's complicated. It really depends on if he wins or not. If he loses, or so at some point, we're going to have to see if Trumpism can continue beyond Trump. Whether it's he loses in 2020 or he's out in 2024, at some point there's going to be a jump ball for the future of the conservative movement in America. And what you'll have is competing factions. The GOP and the conservative movement broadly has factions. It has the neoconservative faction. It has the nationalist Trumpy faction, which is currently in the ascendant. Um, But it's also in the ascendant by the support of a lot of voters who are not overly ideological and support Trump as a person, but maybe don't have a rigid commitment to nationalist populism. Mm. So, and then the alternative also is kind of the Tea Party libertarian style republicanism, kind of where I fall, which is best embodied by people like Senator Rand Paul. Yeah. And so what we have, I think, is in the 2024 primary or in the aftermath of a Trump loss in 2020, you will have primary candidates like Rand Paul, Josh Hawley, and an establishment neoconservative Republican, they'll all have this contest that will decide the fate of the movement, which direction it's going to go. So until that actually happens, it's very hard to predict. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. Uh, I'm pretty interested in Steve Bannon. And the Steve Bannon types seem to think of Trump as a means to an end rather than the end. And he's the wrecking ball which will bring down the Republican Party to replace it with this type of populism, which Bannon has espoused throughout Europe more recently. And this is, I find it pretty exciting because what comes next and what I think is the inevitable path and what's been happening in Europe, especially, is that you have candidates on the conservative side who are pro-community but, and are pro-free market, but not to the extent where it damages the community, they view it as a transaction. And do you think there's a, there's a sector or a, or a cast in the Republican Party who will pick up that mantle once Trump's gone? There are some figureheads like Josh Hawley and Tom Cotton who believe that. The question is, will the voters still be with them on that? I don't think so, frankly. Uh, I think that that view held by the nationalist types like Steve Bannon is currently somewhat in ascendance but the voters who support Trump, a lot of them voted for Obama, right? That we talk about those swing voters. A lot of them voted mm. for Mitt Romney. Uh, they're not, a lot of them support him because of his persona, 
and his persona happens to be tied to nationalist populism. So I don't know that, that the, those voters are guaranteed to stay with him, uh, to not stay with him, but to, to go towards his populist successors. There's a reason, frankly, and coming at it from the libertarian perspective, I don't like European style conservatism. It's that is more big government and more heavy on restrictions on the market. And I would be disappointed to see that succeed on the American right, because I think what has made America thrive is that it has a right that believes in individual liberties and free markets and all the sorts of these things that uh, Josh Hawley and the ascendant nationalist types are keen on infringing, frankly, or at least dialing back. Um, whether it's regulating big tech and accidentally killing innovation in the process, or it's trade wars with China that make American taxpayers poorer, I think those things are bad ideas personally. Um, but what remains to be seen is whether voters who are currently in favor of those positions are actually deeply in favor of them or just currently backing Trump and then possibly open to reshifting those when he's no longer in the picture. And I think it could very well be the latter because he kind of has a unique cult of personality that surrounds him by fans and detractors alike. Mm. No, that's an interesting point. I'm going to have to force you into a corner, I'm afraid. And it's, uh, it, it's something which uh, I'd quite like to know. And to my shame, I don't know uh, a huge amount about American politics. But who do you think is going to be Joe Biden's running mate in the November election? Ooh, well, we know, the short, we know the short list that it's down to includes Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, uh, Val Demings, and one or two other people. I think he might actually go with Kamala Harris, uh, really? frankly. And I, I, I think that's a nightmare. I think she's... A horrendous choice but he I think he's basically just gonna go for gotta pick a black woman frankly yeah uh, the but, identity politics demands on a Democratic nominee are so insane right now insanely strong he literally promised what six months ago I'm gonna pick a woman and just ruled out half the country as his possible nominee yeah and he didn't say uh, it has to be a black woman but he hinted at it many times so he's basically tied his train to this identity politics crowd that dominates the democratic party's base but isn't very popular among the public at large identity politics and political correctness but it is popular among the core democrat base uh and he has to i think just give in to them and pick the wokest possible vp and that's going to probably be kamala even though she brings a lot of baggage to the table. Yeah, well, it, it seems to me that would be a pretty poor choice because she's really disliked amongst pretty much the entire American population. And uh, so, so, yeah, I, I think he's totally shooting himself in the foot, but he really has limited himself, like you said. He could also pick Elizabeth Warren, uh, but then... And that sort of helps him appeal to the more left-wing voters who don't yeah. love his moderate economic views or somewhat moderate. The Bernie bros, right? She's more up their alley. Uh, but then you lose the identity politics people because they're like, wow, an all-white ticket in 2020. Can you believe? Uh, so, but also Elizabeth Warren is like an extremely negatively viewed politician yeah she, she's never won an election other than massachusetts which i'm from <laughs> Massachusetts. 
you can't find a bluer state. So this idea that she has any crossover appeal, people view her as an out of touch, liberal Harvard professor, which is what she was, who looks down at them as ignorant because they're not a leftist like her. Uh, and I think she would also be a very bad pick, uh, frankly. So I don't think he's going to have a, a ton of great options at this point. Yeah. Okay, so, so into the final sort of sector of the podcast here, and I'm afraid it's totally self-serving, so you must forgive me. But I'm always interested to hear how other journalists or politicians from outside of Canada think about Canada or indeed Canada's leadership. So how is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau viewed by the Republicans or at least Republican supporters in the US? Is he totally scoffed at? Um, I think... I frankly don't know a ton about him and I don't think most Americans do, but what we do yeah. know, the two things, like if I just think of Justin Trudeau, the two things that come to mind are blackface and being a woke panderer who virtue signals, uh, and then his super anti-gun legislation. Those are the two first things that come to mind, so I definitely view him negatively, um, though I don't know a ton about his administration or anything. Mm. I think that sentiment is probably widely held uh, among the American right, especially given Trudeau's clashes with Trump. He yeah. really came off as like a very like, uh, uh, an not anti-American, but very like a posh liberal. He, w he seems like he would have fit in with like AOC and those crowd, he, that crowd here. So Gosh. I don't think that he's going probably not very widely uh loved in the republican yeah. party but i'm i'm hazarding a guess there well it's, it's one dinner party I, I wouldn't want to go to is with aoc and justin trudeau but it's uh it's interesting that some of the greatest successes of uh the trump administration for instance negotiating nafta have come as a result of justin trudeau and so although i think there's some mockery uh, on the right, and that, as you said, blackface and, and the sort of gun legislation comes to mind. Um, I, I think they use him as a sort of a useful asset in a way because he, he, I mean, he's pretty weak, and you can sort of exert policy over him, no matter. <laughs> and of course, Canada isn't particularly large, but it speaks volumes to me that, uh, you know, uh, Americans are just totally uninterested about him and, and do sort of. Uh, yeah, really there's can. a big fascination in Canada with American politics, but there's a very minimal interest in America about Canadian politics. Yeah. Uh, and I think that kind of tells tells you there what the dynamic is. Yeah, no, it's a, ter it's a terrible shame. Maybe one day, who knows? But anyway, Brad, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really do appreciate it. Uh, thanks for your time. And hopefully uh, we'll have you on again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Perfect.